Welcome to Stigma Shakers Podcast. I am your host, Ali Hensley, author, speaker, and stigma shaker of the best kind. This podcast is all about shaking and breaking up taboo into digestible chunks, which we like to call our social smoothie. In this podcast, I will ask the difficult questions that can be hard to digest because everyone deserves a little balance in their mental health diet. And let's face it, folks, the only thing normal in this world is different. So my question to you, can we make truth the next biggest trend? Dr. Aziz Sisay is an NHS general practitioner, GP educator, honorary senior clinical lecturer, host, speaker, and health content creator. She has a strong passion for health education, awareness, advocacy, and empowerment. She channels this through her platform, Talks with Dr. Sisay, where she shares short, informative videos, infographics, live discussions, and tips on a variety of topics, with a particular emphasis on women's and gynecological health, cancer awareness, mental health, and health inequity. Dr. Sisay is the creative director of Black Female Doctors UK organisation, charity fundraising lead for Keep It Facts charity, one of the board of directors of Prevention First Initiative, ambassador for the Eve Appeal charity, and was a UN Women UK delegate. She's been featured on BBC News, Guardian, Metro News, Women's Health UK and many more. She's a true believer in collaboration and has worked with many different organisations including NHS England, DHSC, Copperfield, Joe Cervical Cancer Trust, Black Women Rising UK and Pandas Foundation. In addition, she has also supported several national public health campaigns. Well, Stigma Shakers listeners, I did say that I had wrapped up the season finale, but I have a sneaky bonus episode with one incredible GP and social uh, influencer, I think I want to call her, um, Dr. Aziza Sisay, who I've been watching on Instagram for some time, and he was so gracious to come out of her busy schedule to record this really special episode and something that I know we have to talk about and it is the stigma of saying vagina. So Aziza, welcome so much. Thank you so much for jumping on after your very busy day. Oh, thank you so much for having me and for such a really warm, heartwarming introduction. I really appreciate it. But yes, I am here to shake the stigma. Let us talk about vagina. Can we please... (laughs) And I was just saying to Aziza before this call, um, we have a mutual uh, connection, which is LMA from Vava Womb. And so we are the wombless vagina makers, extraordinaires who are championed by people and women like yourself, Aziza. So I'm I'm so grateful. And I think this is going to be, hopefully, it's a hot topic, but it's also one that gets a little bit of stick. So we'll actually just deep dive straight into vaginas if that's okay my pleasure (laughs) I've circled advocacy for MRKH for a number of years and 
I have obviously researched facts and stats and I quickly realised the absolute, um, oh, I just think the resistance that is social media and society in general when it comes to saying this one unique word and there's a bunch of other words, but vagina is something quite close to my heart because I was born without one. And sex educators, influencers, healthcare practitioners, activists, um, from the cancer community, from, um, as I say, the educational community, research community, are coming up with this real difficult thing on social media, which is saying something that I wish, and the sad truth is, that it should really support, inform and liberate women's health. But I think that we're sending out a message that vagina is something to be shamed or ashamed of when we're talking about it. So, Isiza, why do you think, what is the reason behind potentially the embarrassment of simply talking about this body part? One word, the patriarchy. (laughs) I just feel like it's all about control and um, it's just... It's a way to keep us as women and people with vaginas into like this box where we aren't liberated, we're not free. Um, There is a lot of shame and stigma, as you say, and as a health educator, because sex is part of health, you know, as a health educator, I get it a lot. A lot of other health educators get the same stick when we use the word vagina, and some of us have to you know, censor ourselves so that our videos and our posts are still visible to people who need it, um, to people who need that education that we didn't have when we were growing up. So when we talk about censorship, for example, um, and if I talk about vulva, which is the external part of the yes. uh, <laughs> female reproductive anatomy, it's not the same as vagina. They're not interchangeable. <laughs> Thank <that>. you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I posted a, a picture of a vulva and it was a line drawing, right? It wasn't a real life drawing. So it was a line drawing and it just had um, instructions of how to check your vulva. And I posted it on on TikTok and they removed it because it was against community guidelines and I was really confused so I appealed it and they said sorry it's still against community guidelines we've reviewed it and we're not going to allow it it's a line drawing of a vulva telling people how to check their vulva and that is a life-saving advice it's literal life-saving advice because it's where people potentially can pick things up and though it's rare they can pick up Cancer, for instance, which can be then diagnosed early and more likely to be treated and the treatment is more likely to be curative and less invasive and successful. So it's those sort of things that just it's frustrating. <laughs> and you I mean, you talk about it in a very medical um, context, which is quite surprising, really. And, you know, in the sense that you're not necessarily a and I'm sorry to my friends, and there are friends who are, who are sex workers and who do use, you know, um, the platforms to really maybe make revenue, like absolutely legitimately revenue from talking openly about their body parts, about what they do. And I think even from what you're saying, which is quite crazy, because I was talking the other day about how I believe my vagina, which I made, I'm very proud of, is nothing really different from my eyeball. Like in context of anatomy, it isn't. And yet, I guess the metagods that I call them and the algorithms will um, restrict 
the content that we're putting out there. And that's sending, I guess you'd believe, a really damaging message to young girls that anything below the belt is shameful or not to be discussed. And do you think that's a generational thing? Because I feel like we're almost going backwards. We seem really progressive, but yet we're going backwards with our censorship. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think that the narrative that what's happening right now is essentially perpetuating the shame and the stigma and embarrassment. And like you said, it is learned behavior. This is learned shame. You don't, you're not born with the inherent shame of, oh my God, I shouldn't be looking at my vulva. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be saying the word vulva. That's something that we pass on to our children. If we teach them, you know, I mean, in clinic the other day, there was um, a, a young girl who came with her mom and her mom was like, come on, let's show the doctor you move, move. Why are we using words like right. move, move, You know what I mean? Why aren't we using the correct terminology? And I always say this, it's like your head, shoulder, mm. knees and toes. It is literally just words. They are anatomical words um, that are uh, of our body parts. And absolutely, I feel like um, it is generational. Um, I know that when I was younger, I, I didn't even know the words vulva and vagina. It was called private parts. And it was only private when I got parts. Older. My mom just said that to me, literally. She goes, why don't we talk about our private parts anymore? And I was like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. It's true. It's that was the language. Yeah. Mm. And, and language is so powerful, like you say. So these are the kind of things that um, we pass on through generations. And I feel like I, I hear you that we're moving maybe two steps forward. <laughs> And three steps back. It's just never ending. Although we are moving in the right direction. I mean, fingers crossed. Um, because of this censorship. And it's like the the powers that be just do not want this to change. And I'm not entirely sure why. But I feel like the empowerment that we are all pushing for. And if we continue to push for it, eventually we'll be able to break through that stigma um, and taboo and change the narrative yeah and and the shame and I did a podcast with LMA and it was called the stigma of masturbation and I was thinking this is the podcast that is gonna break the internet like in all the good ways and I was watching it as I posted it and the views were I was like come on like this is good like this is really good and LMA said your hashtags Ali and I removed the hashtags misspelled all the words masturbation vagina engagement went back up and I think that was my first well one of my first true experiences of shadow banning which for those who are not quite aware of shadow banning it's where you won't be notified as a user um, on Instagram but you'll have your posts maybe hidden the algorithms manipulated that it would just won't go on people's feeds and I think that that is an incredible <laughs> incredible injustice in in terms of as you say about women's health because above the belt seems a little bit more acceptable maybe say well you say that um a colleague of mine posted on instagram how, about um, breast changes to look out for, for breast cancer and she said check your boobs and the uh, auto generated captions on linkedin censored the word boobs so i don't know um but i feel like it is okay <laughs> no yes. that that was actually that led into my great little segue oh, okay. 
I don't, I've, you probably have um, seen this, but for those who, who haven't, I was fascinated recently. I've just done an extra chapter to my book completely around censorship. And I was really drawn to the Body Form UK campaign and survey that they did, um, which was the uh, Vaginas Uncensored. And they looked at the top sort of 40 words that will get flagged in censorship online and because I want to be a real rebel with um online today these were words and they're period uterus nipples puberty vulva vagina miscarriage menopause and infertility and I have no idea why some of those I get maybe the vagina part but why are the others why do you think that Aziza I feel like honestly, it's because they're related to women. And again, I, I patriarchy. <laughs> That's the only yeah. thing that makes sense to me. Because if you look at the common denominator, it, it is, you know, societal. Okay, I'm not, I don't want to be exclusive. But if I'm just thinking about it from a broader point of view, and the association often is linked with women, it almost feels as though the patriarchy, again, doesn't want women to prevail. And we talk about fertility and infertility, and there's still the misconception that fertility or infertility is specific uh, to women alone, when actually we know that it's 50-50. Yeah. So I feel like that may be playing a part. Again, this is subjective. This is my, just my point of view, but it is frustrating. And when you spoke about needing to essentially censor yourself, I feel like it's a catch-22 because... And I've done it and then I don't do it and then I do it. It's it's really hard because when I don't censor myself, the visibility isn't there. So the information that is life-saving, I want to share that is evidence-based, scientific, you know, accurate information that I want people to know and learn about because there's so much in this information in social media. And that's partly why I'm also uh, on social media as a doctor. Um, it doesn't get seen. But then when I censor myself, I feel like, am I encouraging it am i essentially pandering to you know the the current status and you know the censorship am i saying you know what you're right to censor and i'm going to censor myself so that things can be vis visible but and it's so so hard and it's such a you know it's an argument i have with myself and i know that other healthcare professionals and other health or sex educators face because what do you do you want the information to get out there but at the same time, if you're censoring yourself, you're you're just abiding by the rules. I know. And it can feel like that thing. Yeah, almost where you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice. But I think you, we, we do have to play the game to a degree. And I think the more people that, you know, are doing what we're doing. And as I said, like, I'm even just changing the odd letter. And that's crazy. And that apparently that works. And I think, as you say... And interestingly, I love the fact that you just brought up about infertility, because as someone who is infertile and talks about infertility quite a lot, it always sort of comes down to the woman. And I do think for men as well, and infertility, that's almost another kind of weird censorship shaming that they can't talk about it. And yet the, the stats are very high and evident that a man is equal parts potentially to that so what would you say in the sense of how you've combated how like what what do you do like what are the simple like tips and tricks if you like of using social media to educate but playing playing the algorithm game 
Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that I've done uh, quite a lot in the past is just put spaces in between. So instead of vagina, I put vagina, <laughs> va space vagina or va you know what I mean? So those are the kind of things that I was doing. But I guess it's the fact that I'm not stopping, the fact that I'm con continuously talking about it. Um, I, there's a reel on my page, if you've seen it, where uh, I basically do POV, aren't you ever going to stop talking about vulvas and vagina? Yes. And I'm like showing the props of the vulva and vagina saying, no, you know, the Usher no. song. <laughs> No, 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 no. It's me against you. <laughs> literally. I think as long as we are all working together and I'm all about collaboration. That's why as soon as you messaged me, I thought, you know what? Yes, let's have this conversation. It's important. Um, I think as long as we are all supporting each other, pushing to make the change and we're all saying, nah, 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 enough is enough. We, uh, we will not stand for this. I think it will make the difference. And people are listening. I mean, the BBC featured it, yeah. right? The BB there were loads of different BBC radio um, interviews on it. Obviously, the Body Form um, campaign. But there are so many other campaigns out there. Everybody's taking Huge. a stand and saying, we don't, we don't need to censor these words. And we don't need to stop having these conversations. And I always say, for three reasons. One, because there are people suffering in silence who, one, either have no idea that their symptoms aren't normal and that they need to get checked out. Um, and two, because they're suffering silence because they're embarrassed and the embarrassment is being perpetuated by this censorship and the fact that we don't have these conversations. And so they're di getting diagnosed late. And because they're being diagnosed late, if it is conditions like cancer, which I say is rare, but it does happen, um, then they're less likely to have cures. They're, they're more likely to have worse outcomes. And then thirdly and lastly, when we come to, and I'm going to say trigger warning, when it comes to protecting our children, if we don't teach them the correct words, there are stories like a girl who was taught to say cookie instead of vulva and then her being abused by her uncle and trying to tell her mom, but she's like, mommy, he's playing with the cookie, he's playing with the cookie and the cookie, is it a cookie? You know, we don't want to have this confusion. If someone, if, if you know, my child is telling me, I have a five-year-old daughter and she says vulva. Right. <laughs> Although my family were like, oh my God, what are you doing? Um, and she knows that she has a pushing the Pushing the frontiers. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's no confusion. He is playing with my vulva, period. Whilst I'm, and, and I, I mean, I'm not just saying it to be like, it sounds wanky, but I did get the shivers because this isn't just about social media. It's not just about the perfect reel. It's not about, you know, what we can do to sort of glamorize this word because it, as you say, it comes down to some really significant education that we're teaching our, our children today. And I guess for those who aren't necessarily out there to advocate and be activists or, or influencers, the the woman who is contemplating coming to see a GP but she's too embarrassed she doesn't want to talk about her vagina she doesn't want to talk about sex she feels that you know and I did a podcast with Sarah Graham who authored Rebel Bodies about how women are crazy yeah crazy for or hysterical for talking about shit down there what would you say to those women who are really governed by that 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 word and the, the kind of like the what's I almost want to say the the barriers about even going to their GP and they miss 
they miss medicine because of that. They miss being diagnosed for something because of that. Honestly, I would say I hear you. I feel you. I was you. But actually, there is no shame. There's no reason to feel shame. There's no reason to feel embarrassed. Our bodies are beautiful and unique and they do such wonderful things for us. But also remember that us as GPs, honestly, we, we're just here to help you or healthcare professionals in general. We will never judge you, okay? That is not our role. We want to help. We want to heal you. And I know some people may listen to this and think, well, that doesn't happen for me. And I'm very sorry if that's been your experience. But I promise you there are others out there who truly believe and want to, like me, want to help you, want to treat you. There is there is treatment out there. And for certain conditions, there are cures. And where there are no cures, there are ways to help to ease the symptoms. So please, if you're listening to this, do not suffer in silence. Do not put up with it. I promise you it's not your plight for being a woman or having a vulva or vagina or any of those gynecological <laughs> organs. There is help out there. Don't suffer in silence. I think sometimes, and I felt it when advocating for MRKH around vagina in terms of the anatomy, as soon as I start talking about it, I think a lot of people potentially go equal to sex, equal to porn, equal to whatever that might be. And I think I don't want to talk about it because one, I don't want people undressing me or thinking, oh, does she look like Barbie down there? Does she have a vulva? Like, what does she like to have an orgasm? Can she pee? Like, all these sort of questions. And I think, is that because we associate vagina so much with sex? And who wants to talk about sex around a water cooler at work? Really, do you think that's some of it as well? Like, the associations, you say, with the patriarchy as well with the the sex industry? Yeah, I say this a lot. I feel like there's such hypersexualization when it comes to anything mm. women's and female reproductive anatomy. Um, so yeah, there's the association with sex uh, rather than the fact that it, again, it is an organ uh, that not only, it's not only served there for sex, there are mm. other functions, you know what I mean? Um, but I think it's that association with, like you say, um, it being hypersexualized and not seeing it for anything other than that but it's again what's being portrayed by the media and again what we've learned over the years the culture and all of that but as i say if we continue to educate and raise awareness and um yeah just get more people to understand understand mm -hmm. their bodies understand the organs understand the other aspects I think it can make um, a massive difference and just change. Again, I always say this. I always say this phrase, but change the narrative because I'm so tired of this narrative. <laughs> I'm so tired. Like I, I had an amazing podcast launched this morning and I'm honestly not plugging it. But when I listened back to it and it was all about my story around my association with vagina and what did it mean? Like to have a vagina, does it equal womanhood? no to bleed does it equal no to have a baby does it like so there are so many societal expectations around what that body part symbolizes rather than the function and yeah no a vagina isn't there to accommodate a penis a vagina is there for whatever whether you're making one have one it it doesn't really it well it, sh it shouldn't I don't think factor into the way we have that narrative but sadly it does 
so if you were to, if you were to say if you're talking to Instagram like how can we really tackle this online taboo that we're we're facing what would what would you sort of say in the in the respect of equality I guess when it comes to talking about our body parts and doing our work? So I would say that there are so many advances in technology. We have AI, right? It is mm-hmm. incredible. So please tell me, Instagram and all your other social media platforms, please tell me how you don't have an algorithm or some sort of AI technique to, to be able to distinguish between um, pornographic content versus scientific evidence-based health educational content please tell me why you're not able to do that because i feel like it's such an excuse um the truth of the matter is especially after well covid is still happening but since the pandemic happened during lockdown so many people are consuming their health information from social media and it it is a resource now and it's important that we as health care professionals or um, actual educators, you know, licensed educators, it's important that we are able to provide the accurate evidence-based scientific information because it could potentially save lives. And it is an educational platform. And can we just not send the message to young women and girls that your body is dirty below the belt or any part of your body, in fact, and it's not sexualized. It really is. I always, I mean, yeah, I always say that my vagina is as relevant as an eyeball. And that's literally how I look at my anatomy. But I mean, yeah, I spent 20 years examining the word. So... I would love to finish, if I may, with this um, podcast because it is this beautiful bonus episode and I think that Aziza is incredible. At the Stigma Shakers podcast, our, (laughs) our aim is to shake up and blend unique social smoothies for our listeners to digest around the topics of stigma and taboo, which is quite the metaphor. But if you could have an ingredient into your social smoothie, what would that be? And what would you call it? Oh, my goodness. Wow. I did not prep for this question. No one does. And it can go either two ways. Trust me. (laughs) Social smoothie. So what I would like to... As a a social quality. Yeah. No strawberries or kale. Maybe, you know, some people have said research, uh, compassion, those type of responses. All right. I actually, right now, with the way that the world is, um, I actually just want one ingredient. um, And it's because the beginning of this week, my daughter woke up on Monday morning and she asked me a question that completely caught me off guard. And she said, mommy, why can't the world be kinder? And I just thought, wow, it's a question that I've been asking myself a lot lately. And I feel like that's all we need in this world, kindness. It's free and it doesn't have to be anything extravagant. It could even just be smiling at someone who perhaps hasn't been smiled to for the long, or smiled at for the longest time. Yeah. And I just, if we had more of that, uh, the world would be a better place. If we were kinder to ourselves, to each other, it would just be a beautiful place. Well, your daughter is quite the thought leader, it would appear. And, yeah, God, 
simple. Children just don't know how to lie. Like they don't know, like they just get it. So what would you call it if you could have your smoothie on a on a whiteboard of a menu for social stigma and stigma shakers, what would it be called? Change the world. <laughs> Yum. I'll eat that. I'll suck on that. I know that's that so cheesy. Change, no, 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 no. Like the first answer usually is the right, like that's the right answer. Change the world smoothie with one chunk of kindness at a time. I think that's lovely. Oh, and another thing that I always really love to do with our guests. I'm so sorry. It's like a QA. and a um, If you could have a headline today or tonight on the news that would break the news about the stigma of saying vagina, what would that headline be? <laughs> vagina is not a bad word. <laughs> vagina is not a dirty word. It's not bad. It's not weird. It's not awkward. It's not, it's not freakish. Literally a body part, people. Word, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Aziza, thank you so much. How can people find you? I'll put it in the show notes, obviously. But for those who are listening, where can people start to follow you? Of course, thank you for asking. So I am at Talks with Doctors to say on all my social media platform. That's YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, um, Twitter, which I don't really use, but Doctor Aziza to say is my handle. And um, yeah, you can find me on my website, www.talkswithdrcissay.com. God, you're a gorgeous human. Thank you so much. (laughs) You've had such a big day. And can I just say, like, you know, you talk about your daughter with kindness. You didn't know me, Boo from a Goose, when I messaged you the other day. And you've been so gracious and so lovely and accommodating for this. And that truly is acts of kindness. Thank you so much, Aziza. I'm pretty sure this is the bonus episode who knows it's my podcast i can do what i want